It's time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hareton Audio Podcast. So, this week we've got a very, very unexpected treat from U2, who's dropped the new song Atomic City ahead of their Las Vegas shows at the new venue. They've been sort of uh, spearheading called The Sphere. Or I'm sure it has a more uh, They're doing U2UV, which is also like Acton Baby themed, isn't it? Yes, it's the anniversary, one of the anniversaries of Acton Baby, I want to say 30th. And the stage is crazy. Obviously, everybody's seen like the videos of the outside of the dome. Um, yeah, the outside of the dome does look insane. Like, if you watch the music video for Atomic City, it shows you a lot, a lot on the inside. But at the very end, there's like a teaser of like a baby in a helmet. Yeah, and it's weird, but like cool weird. But like, uh, I can't believe that's just in LA. Like the day after they put the video out, they had an emoji, um, a series of emojis on a yellow, basically dome that was all around Las Vegas because. Everywhere you looked at the dome, it was just an emoji smiling or crying or whatever. And just the thought of opening a hotel window and then seeing a massive emoji, like it it almost looks like, well, I mean, it looks so unreal because of how big it is in like a a sort of skyline. The scale sort of doesn't feel right, does it? But uh, it's very clever. But obviously in the video, we see the first look at the inside of the venue which l- equally looks weird because basically there's like a, a half sphere well a quarter sphere of lights and leds sort of in the background and the band are playing on this very tiny circle podium in front of it yeah we well, say tiny it's comparatively tiny yes. yeah comparatively <laughs> tiny from the audience perspective probably a, a nice size stage for the band but uh, the song, Atomic City, I'm under the assumption that it's from a forthcoming album that they alluded to on the Apple Music Zane Lowe interviews, yeah. uh, Bon on the Edge, when I was talking about this sort of project. But the song is sort of like a, how did Bonner describe it? Like a 70s rocker sort of situation. So it sounds to me as well like they're definitely continuing the the sound development that they was using on songs of innocence and experience because the song reminds me of like cedarwood road and the tracks like that off songs of innocence um it's in that same vein where they're they're like taking influence from the ramones and stuff that they was talking about like the song uh, uh the miracle of joey ramone um so yeah that they're sort of like leaning into that sort of style i completely agree it's i think it's because they, they was doing like a very, very um, forward thinking, Had it's hard to describe it because you 2 sort of pioneered a thing that then became popular, whereas now you sort of hear them being a bit more nostalgic in the music, as you say. They're sort of going back to their pasts. Maybe it's because they've done a lot of reflection and stuff and sort of started to work with older sort of song arrangements i mean it's still very much u2 and it's not it's not exactly a pastiche of anything but like you say there is that i mean i i think the new song sounds very reminiscent of call me by blondie just melodically yeah but that'll be just because it's probably in the same key or the same top note on the start of the chorus with a similar phrasing which just to me it just says blondie call me but it's you know that's the only bit 
that that does specifically do that. Uh, but also, you've got Edge doing a, like a wah-wah guitar solo on this. Oh, yeah, which is quite which, out of the ordinary from what they've been doing previously because they said they wanted the Edge to be super rocky and it, Bono said on the Apple Music thing with, with Zane Lowe that he wanted to show that the band could still be a rock band. Yeah, and it's it's very much, I suppose that they've gone for that classic timeless rock sound on this they haven't they haven't tried to reinvent the wheel but they also haven't they also haven't like stuck in a box specifically so it comes across as sounding like it's fresh but very nostalgic at the same time it's a hard one to describe because i feel like it's both and neither (laughs) yeah and it's what you would expect them to do but also what you would not expect them to do because i was expecting them to do something that's very different from songs of innocence and songs of experience and they've sort of put out a single that isn't throwing you off the scent really um like we talked about a lot of bands like say the 1975 putting part of the band out to sort of do like that shock factor but you two have basically put out a track that you go no that's pretty much what they've been doing in a good way but you know it's like a continuation like saying it's not i mean i was hoping for maybe something a little bit more left field and something that we've not heard you two do but this is great as well. I think that that sort of them songs will be coming on the album, but I think this is like a soft, soft introduction to the album. Like say, maybe they've gone for like a, a connection from songs of experience to this. So it isn't, you know, so it it sort of flows. I don't know if Atomic City will have any narrative connection to songs of experience with, with the previous albums, being um, sort of connected in that sense. Yeah, I would definitely, like if we're talking about what we want to see from U2 on the new album, I would love to see them do songs in the vein of City of Blinding Lights and Streets of No Name, just that like classic U2 delay guitar sort of weightless intro and and chorus and stuff that would be really interesting the, the anthemic but also yeah. the ones that were really some of the songs really capture your imagination because they tend to do tend to pile on the effects yeah and, i would definitely like to see edge get all of his racks out and just like yeah give us a bizarre guitar turn that's ethereal and like weightless and i'm hoping that there is some of that on this album because that is definitely what i really like about you two you know um, just, just that's, or should I say that's what to me feels quintessentially you two about how to dismantle an atomic bomb as an album is that it, it seems like something that only you two could do, particularly those first five songs off the record. But also speaking of stuff only you two could do, what this song does sound like is a live band playing together. And I think that is probably the strength that I imagine that's what they thought the strength of the song was for the fair song to put out yeah because you can sort of hear it's full of drum fills it's full of little licks and little sort of deviations and it's it it's like a shuffle as well so it feels more live with it having a bit more innate swing to it than a, a standard sort of rhythmic beat yeah it definitely doesn't feel sequenced in any way which i think is probably what they're going for when they're trying to sell you on u2 as a live act is that they're not saying you know if they came out with like a 
a remix essentially. Yeah. Um, or a super singing, processed it song. Would, it would feel like, oh, well, this is very different and very modern, but is this what you're going to want to see live when you go to see U2 UV in the sphere? Songs like Invincible come to mind, yeah. which is a great song, but I don't think it showcases U2 at their sort of live potential, as you're saying. And yeah. maybe they're sort of saying, you know, there's a there's a lot of sequenced and um, not even necessarily sequenced, but more electronic sounding music out there. So I suppose maybe U2's thought is, why would we do that when we are a four-piece band and we can sound like a four-piece band? Yeah. Um, it's interesting thinking about what U2's sound has been in the last 10 years, because like we say with like the songs of innocence and songs of experience albums, this is very much continuing from that. But also the, the, the songs that are on those two albums, they sort of have those, like we were talking about U2 isms uh, on the other episode of the podcast, but they are definitely rooted a little bit more in the past and less in the future sonically. Like like you were saying about them being nostalgic and looking backwards, that's where the music sounds as well. Like they're not trying to push too many boundaries like they were, say, on a beautiful day, where it's a very modern sounding record is a be- is a beautiful day. It's not Yes. It doesn't sound like anything that come out before the year two thousand. And whereas a lot of these songs that they're bringing out are songs that you could imagine some bands in the 70s playing you it sounds like a song that you've that you've heard before but you just haven't heard it like this you know um that's sort of my take on it whereas like you say when you when we listen to say um all that you can't leave behind it's a very cutting edge record not just sonically but also in the way the songs and the riffs are constructed like with elevation you you don't feel like even now I feel like Elevation's a very unique sounding song. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And also, uh, just to mention, Songs of Surrender obviously goes in with this theme that we've been talking about of the previous couple of studio efforts from you two being sort of linked together. You have Songs of Innocence, Songs of Experience, and Songs of Surrender, totaling probably somewhere just over 60 tracks yeah. between them. Um, so they've they've been very thematic of recent. So... Is it that they're luring us in with this familiar U2, familiar modern U2 sound with Atomic City so they can break our expectations on the next single or the next songs that come out? Yeah. Which would be the opposite of what we've seen by most bands where they put their sort of more experimental left field single out first and then work their way backwards to saying, well, you know, there's some of us on there, you know, like we normally sound. I'll tell you what is really good about Atomic City, though. It's about just getting a new song from a band like U2, a band as established and as long-going as U2. Because U2 in a a strange position where they still have the four original members. Yes. And like now in, in, you know, in 2023, not even ZZ Top has the three original members. It's very, very difficult for a band that's been going as long as you two to maintain those original four members. And what's so exciting about a band like you two still putting out music is that it is still you two and everybody that was and has ever been in U2. There's, there's in no there. what ifs, is there? There's yeah. no what if 
Edge didn't leave or Bono didn't leave or or Larry or Adam. There's, I know what you mean, Mike. They're, they're all in it still. And I know, um, I believe Larry's having some sort of issues, performance issues with it, like his, his back and muscle stuff. So he's not on the live shows, I think they were saying, on the um, Apple Music stuff, but he plays on the album or at the very least from what we know on that song, yeah. which is great because it would have been a real shame, I think, if... if um, if they would have had to do some sort of substitution. Because like you say, that you two are in a very, very unique and almost uncomprehensible position of having their original lineup so long after. And the other thing with you two is you two haven't really had a long hiatus of any kind. They've always give a steady sort of trickle of albums. Like even where most bands falter in the 2010s, you two still delivered three albums. Yeah. Which is, I mean, three albums a decade is about right, really, for consistency. You know, they they just seem to have kept that consistency throughout the entire career, where most bands, say a band like ZZ Top, where that maintained their lineup, they put out Mascalera in 2003 and didn't put out La Futura till like 2014 or 2015. That's what it felt like to me. It might have been 2012. But like like I say, you two have just kept that momentum rolling. I mean, even even Bon Jovi in comparison, because you two and Bon Jovi were in a very similar place in the year 2000 to 2005. Even Bon Jovi have sort of slowed up on releasing music recently. But yes, it feels like you two, they still are there and they're still for as much like, jerks as you two get they're still a very popular band and they're still in the limelight they are yes. they're not they've not been pushed out of the limelight they're not irrelevant they're still relevant somehow i don't know how they're managing to be relevant but they are um and i know maybe they've drummed up like pr from songs of innocence being put in everybody's iphones and stuff but like i say when you're looking at the releasing Say from from two thousand onwards, from all you can't leave behind. They put out an album from two thousand, two thousand and four, two thousand and nine, two thousand and fourteen, two thousand and seventeen, and then two thousand and twenty three. So it's it is two albums across the twenty tens, but it sort of feels like three because there's deluxe songs on Songs of Innocence and deluxe songs, and because Songs of Innocence was that classic one where they gave it away and everybody got mad. I remember being ecstatic when that press conference happened and going up, running up and opening up iTunes and going, oh my God, I've got a new U2 album to listen to and I don't even have to pay for it. This is so cool because I buy music. I remember downloading it before Apple actually got it onto my iPod. Like, and I like, had to actively find it to download it for free. Definitely a one in a million reaction to that one, apparently, where yeah. <laughs> most people were very mad. But I remember loving it. But... Point being is that Songs of Innocence, obviously it came out and then there was later, so it came out on everybody's phones for free, which was obviously divisive and everything, but it still happened. Then later they put out like an extended version of Songs of Innocence, which had a couple of new tracks and a lot of alternative versions. So it it sort of feels like three albums because there's like 21 songs on there and then there's like 17 songs on Songs of Experience. So... By comparison, that it's still a lot of songs. But also, like, Songs of Surrender come out in 2023, which is only last... Uh, this this year. year. Did it come out in January? Yeah. Um, 
and they're teasing their new album for 2024. So yeah. you're talking about a back-to-back release. Now, Songs of Surrender's a tricky one when it comes to talking about it in a discographist context because it is a reimagining of songs almost in the vein of a greatest hits album. You know, it's a compilation. At the end of the day, they've re-recorded it, but it, you could class it as a compilation of pre-existing well, songs. Unlike, I suppose, the only... One of the other comparisons would be the way I suppose Taylor Swift's doing it, where they've they've changed stuff, but they have added parts to songs as well. So yeah. it's it's not a straightforward compilation because when you listen through, the arrangements are completely like wildly different. But like songs like Walk On go from being Walk On to Walk On Ukraine, and some songs have extra verses and some songs have extra chorus bits and a different refrain. So it's a very odd release, but I suppose that's that's what they had time to do. I'm, I, I am under the assumption that that's their COVID effort, hence why they had 40 songs on instead of 10. But and Because obviously it came out in 2023 as well, so they've got to have been doing something whilst they was all um, not able to tour. So I, I believe that will have been it. But like we say, just for sheer consistency, you two have outlasted a lot of bands, almost all the bands. I mean, 1980 on the dot boy came out. Yeah. The first album. Yeah. So we're talking, we're, we're talking nearly 45 years. We're sort of almost towards 45 years from the debut album. Obviously the band was a band before boy came out yeah. as well, but, um, it's just very interesting to see because a lot of music fans don't get this catalog from their favorite band. There's a lot of bands like Guns N' Roses or Boston that just fizzle out very quickly or in both those bands' cases, actually, very slowly. <laughs> like those Slower bands you think. are both still going, but they're still only put out five albums a piece or whatever. So it's like, it, it's a tough one. So you have the one, like we say, the quality versus quantity argument. But also you have bands like, say, Queen, Led Zeppelin, and so forth, where they've had a, a member die prematurely or unexpectedly. And the tragedy has just ended the the discography's run, basically. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, and they've done... I mean, it's hard to describe, like, could Queen have gone on with a different singer? Probably not. Not not in the not in the same capacity. Like, I know they have touring members and I they've think, done the Cosmos Rocks, but, like, as a unit, this is what you're saying about no member changes. That That's what keeps it together as a band you also can, even yeah. if queen got a second singer and say when they got paul rogers which they made an album say they continued making albums and they picked up with the momentum and they had 10 albums with paul rogers and um i don't know do they have 15 albums roughly 15 albums with freddie mercury something yeah you would be able to have like the van hager and lee roth sort of argument where Yes, they both did roughly four albums, so the band sort of it has two distinct eras, but both of which are as popular as each other, definitely commercially. Whether the fans prefer one or the other, you know, Sammy Hager had four number one albums with Van Halen, David Lee Roth had four albums, I don't know whether there was number one or not, um, with Van Halen as Originally. well. Originally. Yeah, so that means that they kept that going. Now, Obviously, you two have had no member issues, but even for the bands that have had member issues, they haven't been able to sustain just the consistency of releases. 
And it's really nice to get an album like A Different Kind of Truth, which isn't even on Spotify if you go look for it. Um, they've pulled it off, clearly. Um, like I say, it's just a small correction. Uh, six albums with Lee Roth. Six, was According it? According to Spotify. Yeah, there's there's... The two I think you forgot are Women and Children First and then Fair Warning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. That is Just want to put that out there so the Van Halen fans don't attack us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, the, you know, you two fans should be very happy because they're in a very unique position where they have their favourite band continuing on with new music where they're still doing interesting and groundbreaking things like from what I've seen, the U2 UV sphere in Las Vegas is like a groundbreaking venue where yeah. they're doing not only a groundbreaking show, but they're able to make groundbreaking music videos, groundbreaking this, groundbreaking that, because they're in a unique position where they have the best tech. And they're somehow, I don't think U2 have lost momentum somehow. Yeah, some people might be like, I don't even know who you two are. But yeah, yeah, yeah. when you look at them as a career band, or even at, if you, even if you take them as a legacy band, most legacy bands, like you say, Mark, have had full a full decade out and have had continuous member changes, or or sometimes they've taken twenty years out and they reform with still. Um, sometimes say like, a, say like Europe Europe yeah. come out in the mid 80s they then get to eight, 92 roughly 92 Peter's getting it up on Spotify so I can get the stats right but say they form in roughly the early 80s we have Europe's first album 83 right they get up to Prisoners of Paradise which is 1991 is that Pierre? yeah 91 yeah then they stop from 91, they don't come back to 2008. Six. Sorry, I'm really far. I'm really, <laughs> You're really far, far from the screen. So 2006. So yeah. that's a long time as Europe fan. Obviously, a lot of bands, Europe was one of them, where they just looked at grunge coming and went, yeah, we're, we're done, basically. That seems to... That's what the, uh, the, the discography tells yeah. you. So yeah. then they come back in 2008. Obviously, nah, I haven't listened six. to... Sorry. Six, sorry. <laughs> Um, 2006, they do Secret Society. I never listened to much of Secret Society, but in 2009, Nine. Last Look at Eden really put Europe back on the map as far as I'm concerned, because that album was a fantastic album. Masterpiece. A masterpiece, I, I would say. Um, and then they have a steady trickle of albums all the way through now. So we've got yeah. you know, like... Just, and new music as well. We have new music. music. They've released a new song this weekend as well called Hold Your Head Up, which is quite good as well, keeping in the theme that they've been doing. And it's one of those things where you've got to think like from a fan perspective, people talk about, oh, well, I only like the first three albums, you know, but you have more than three albums by a band like U2. You know, Europe... I'm glad they've come back because if they stopped in 91, you, I wouldn't have had Last Look at Eden. And I can say firmly that Last Look at Eden is my favourite Europe album. Yeah. Whether, you know, commercially, however it did, is irrelevant. That album from start to finish is by far the best Europe album I've heard. Yeah. And because they went, because that, that album is forward thinking in the way it's produced. And then um, Bag of Bones and the album's, 
that followed it, they took a little bit more of an organ approach and they, they took it back to the seventies a little bit, even though Europe have like the since, but all of the newer albums, they've sort of gone into that seventies rock, a bit Uriah Heapy really in like the sound design, it's Deep a, Purple. Seems that, to be a common factor with the bands. Like Bon Jovi is a great example where they're, they're on, I don't know if we've said this on one of the previous ones, they're on the cutting edge for so, so long. And they sort of hit a point where they're like, we're going to have to make the nostalgia the, trip and but, go back a bit. But Bon Jovi got to Born Again Tomorrow, which is an EDM arrangement, an EDM track in a rock format. So they got that far. They got a lot further than most other bands that came out in the 80s. But like we say, with you 2 you got to remember, they came, came out a few years before a lot of these 80s hair metal bands and a lot of yeah. these bands that ended up having that 10-year hiatus in the 90s. Additionally, you 2 got more popular in the 90s because they wasn't in that hair metal scene. When everybody stripped their music back, it was very easy for you 2 to just, you know, carry on doing what they was doing because there was never that overly produced in the first place. There wasn't. I would dare to say that they went more produced when Grunge came out and in like a, a bizarre way. Like, you know, with- you 2 started in 1980, but they didn't peak till Beautiful Day, really. Like, I would say that that was when they was everywhere. Those two albums in the 2000s, you couldn't avoid them. Now, maybe that's me because I, w- I saw it in the 2000s I mean, when I think it was bubbling to, up. But- to have Beautiful Day on you know, third on their Spotify stats, it's got 494 million streams, which the streams on any song that came out after Spotify sort of got to where it is now. It's retroactive, isn't it? Because they've had to retroactively get those streams back from when Spotify wasn't out. The streams sort of don't mean anything because Spotify wasn't a platform when these songs came out. So you don't get the initial hit. You don't really get the popularity. But still, For Beautiful Day, which is a song that is 20-odd years into U2's career, to, you know, outperform everything but two songs, being With or Without You Are, Still Haven't Found What You're Looking For, both classics, both, I imagine, from what I've heard, are just mega sync songs as well, which doesn't I think the thing is, is those two songs is what propelled U2 to having that. It wasn't quite a one-hit wonder, it was a two, it was a double with U2, because those two songs are a bit of a double act in a very weird way, that a lot of bands don't end up having a pairing. They almost are a pair. We Will Rock You, We Are The Champions is what comes Uh, to mind to me. That type of situation, so... Yeah, they're a very odd band for that, but like you say, Beautiful Day is right there, and like, when we're looking, we can see Vertigo and the nine spot, and I'm actually surprised it's that low, but once again, you two have a lot of songs. I don't know, they have strong songs, though. They have like a lot say. of greatest hit songs, you know. Uh, one of very few bands to to actually make it to a greatest hits two. A lot of bands have the greatest hits one, but they never actually I'm, get to the greatest hits two. I'm looking forward to Nickelback's greatest hits volume two. Yeah. Because they've done the volume one. Yeah. It's like, look, you can't just do a volume one. Yeah. You can't. It's like Calvin Harris with Funk Soul Wives. It's like when he does, when you put the volume one, there's, there's all of a sudden there's like a clock ticking yeah. down to say, you've got to make a volume two. Because yeah. if you don't, everybody's going to say, well, where's volume two? You put a volume one out. Yeah. But once again, that's our thoughts on you two in general, but also they're back with a brand new song, Atomic City. And that's and really fun. The album that it will be on, that's that's the thing to get excited about because what potential gems does that album hold? I can't wait for it. I'm just hoping that 
they do what I want them to do and not what everybody else wants them to do. Or what they want to do. <laughs> or what they want to do. I want them to do what I wish they would do. This band's doing what they want to do. Screw them. <laughs> it's one of those though. You want you want to you want them to be happy doing what they want you to do, what they want themselves to do, but you want that to also be what sort of you want to yeah. see from them. Definitely. Right, I've been Mark. And I've been Peter. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>